So for those of you who've been following along, we're using the original 1926 text of the science of mind. And we're using it for a very specific purpose. In 1938, they edited out a lot of the good bits. <laughs> now we figured out already perhaps why they edited out some of it. The first week we covered sex, for instance, and I can understand the editors maybe thought, well, sex in a spiritual center, maybe not. And, uh, you know, last week even, even the idea of spiritualism or, uh, you know, uh, psychic phenomenon, maybe likewise they kind of thought, well, that's just maybe not quite appropriate for a spirit, spiritualism in a spiritual center. I don't know. But anyway, today I'm really shocked in a way, though, because today what they edited out was the idea of having a very close and personal connection to God itself. And um, Ernest Holmes used both the word rapture and the word atonement, and we're going to cover both of those concepts today. But before we go there, I want to start out with a story. You know me, I like my stories. All right. When his ship stopped at a remote island for a day, a Christian bishop was determined to use the time as profitably as possible. He strolled along the seashore and came across three fishermen tending to their nets. In pidgin English, they tell him that centuries before, missionaries had been there. We good Christians, they say proudly, pointing at one another. Well, the bishop was impressed. Did they know the Lord's Prayer? They'd never heard of it. The bishop was shocked. What do you say then when you pray? They lifted their eyes towards heaven and said, We are three, you are three, all are one. Well, the bishop was appalled at this primitive and downright heretical nature of the prayer, so he spent the whole day teaching them the Lord's Prayer. And the fishermen, you know, English wasn't exactly their language, so this was tough. But by the end of the day, when the bishop boarded on the ship, they could indeed recite the Lord's Prayer. Okay, months passed. The ship is sailing back across the sea. And as the, the bishop himself is on deck reciting his evening prayers, he recalls the pleasure of the three men in that distant island. Suddenly, though, he sees a light, a spot of light in the east that keeps approaching the ship. He gazes in wonder, seeing three glowing figures walking on the water. Yes, you guessed it. It was the bishop's fishermen. Bishop, they exclaimed, we heard your boat go past and came here in a big hurry to meet with you. We are so very sorry. We've forgotten your lovely prayer. We say, our Father, heaven, holy be name, and then we forget. Please tell us the prayer again. It was a chastened bishop who replied on his knees, Go back to your island, my friends, and when you pray, say, we are three, you are three, all is one. <laughs> so I think what Ernest Holmes is talking about in this chapter is that our path to God is as individual as each one of us here is in this very room, that there's no exact formula for how to reach a, a, you know, a, another walk down your spiritual path. It's not a formula that you can describe, well, do this set of prayers or um, read the power of now seven times or do you know what I mean? It's not like you go to this workshop and then you become enlightened. What he's really saying by using both the idea of rapture and the idea of atonement is that each of us is poised to make a really important next step on our spiritual path. So let's go on with it. First, he talks about the idea of rapture. And for him, the idea is rapture is to be lifted out of oneself 
meaning one sort of ego self, if you will, by a divine power. So it's not the like, you know, it's not the sort of foursquare Christian idea of, you know, literally being lifted off the freeway during rush hour. Instead, it's a, again, it's a very personal idea of it. It's being lifted out of our own selves by whatever spiritual need, means might be important to us. And the other concept that he talks about, which at first I kind of went gulp, so I'm actually going to talk about atonement on Sunday, because of course most of us were raised with the idea of atonement meaning atoning for sins, right? And of course, you know, our, our order here, our religious beliefs are a little bit not so much down the path of sin and retribution and that kind of thing. But he was very clear about what he means by sin in this chapter. The idea of sin is simply making a mistake. He would say that anything that takes you away for your own idea of God, anything that takes you away for your own idea of goodness, anything that would allow you to distance yourself, if you will, from God and, and your fellow creatures, this is really the only kind of sin there is, and it's only a sin of ignorance and mistake, right? Um, I think we're used to the idea of sin being, you know, when you do something bad, someone's taking notes. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, sometimes we do the, the St. Christopher jokes. or so, No, it's St. Peter's at the gate, isn't it? Where there's the big book of everything you've ever done. And oh my gosh, you better have a story, right? For when you let the dog go without food for that week when you were seven. Because now is the time of atonement. <laughs> and you're going to have to make up for all those sins if you want to get into heaven. Well, Ernest Holmes says, really, the only person that holds you in judgment is guess who? Yeah, the only judging that's getting done is right here. And do you know the only person you need to atone to? <laughs> yes, the only person that you ever really need to apologize to, and it's only for a lapse, if you will, into your own ignorance, right? It's just right here. This is the only person that can really tell you you've made a mistake, and this is the only person that ultimately can let you off the hook. And what I love what he does with the word atonement is he breaks it into its syllables, and he calls it at-one-ment. And the process, if you will, of atoning is no more and no less than simply doing whatever is necessary to lose that separation, to lose that division between you and your own higher wisdom self. It is simply at one moment with that indwelling spirit. That's the only atoning that needs to be done. Let me read you this, uh, this part in here, because he really talks, I think, very clearly about what has kind of gone wrong with humanity. He says, um, humanity has gone contrary to the law of harmony and love. And for this, we experience all our troubles. We will be saved to the degree that we return to a state of harmony and unity with God and our own life. And we can do this only as we first come to realize that God is love. It's as simple as that. God is not the, the weird guy in the sky taking notes. God is simply love. And the degree that we can regain that, the degree that, to which we can experience that level of unity again through whatever means, 
There's no formula. It isn't take the workshop. It isn't even coming here on Sunday, although I think sometimes it helps when we take the workshop, although I think it helps sometimes when we do read the books, when we do come on Sunday. I think these things can help, but this is not a formula. This is something that transpires right here in the human heart. This is where we experience at-oneness, that, that atoning quality. Okay, so what does it feel like to you all? Let me speak for myself. Lately, I've been on a real meditation kick, and I, I just want to experience uh, or, or to share my own experience of a recent at-one-ment. So often on my days off, I'm down at the beach, and I had the most lovely uh, meditation this last Wednesday. The dog and I went down to the beach, did a little walk, found you know, a nice log there to look out at the, at the ocean. And you know what happened? About an hour and a half later, I realized that I was soaking wet. Somewhere in this period, it had started to rain. The dog had gotten way bored with playing with sand fleas and God knows what else and had kind of snuggled under my legs to keep dry. And what I realized was I had totally experienced this idea of at-oneness. Now, is that something I could have predicted? Is that something that I could have said, well, today I'm going to have this, you know, this enlightened and really special connection with God? Probably not. But what I do know is I can set myself up to be more likely to have situations like that. And I want to share, I want to share that idea with you today. I think that everyone in this room, first of all, whether you know it or not, everyone in this room already has a spiritual practice. Now, some of you may have it formalized. Some of you may know that you do, you know, prayers first thing in the morning and maybe a mid-morning meditation. And maybe some of you do some journaling towards the end of the evening. Some of you maybe write thank you cards or, or of service at a soup kitchen. You know, some of you have very clearly identifiable, if you will, spiritual paths. But I also think that we all have these ideas of spiritual, um, I don't know what exactly the right word is, but, but spiritual paths or spiritual practices in our own lives. Uh, for a friend of mine, I know it's holding babies. Now, no, nowhere in a book anywhere do I see it written that holding babies would be, you know, a spiritual path or, or would be um, considered a spiritual practice. But what I know is that when she is holding a baby, her face lights up like the, the three fishermen that they were talking about there. And I can see that she is at oneness, right, with her idea of what love and God is all about. I'm going to assign you some homework in a little bit, and I'll give you a heads up on it. The homework is, what makes your life light up? What brings this idea of at-oneness closer to you? And if you look through your life, you know, like replay a few days' worth of your life, and think about the time that you felt most connected to God as you describe it. And here, you know, I'm, I'm leaving this wide open to your own interpretation, to your own idea, to what is important to you about your idea of God or spirit or the, the higher self or whatever you want to call it. And I'm doing a what would we call it? Like a spiritual rally today. I want to be sort of your cheerleader. I want to be your proponent 
for walking further on your own personal path without even knowing what it is. Your personal path might involve a lot of volunteerism. Your personal path might involve a lot of prayer work. Your personal path might involve holding a lot of babies. Your personal path might be involved in setting up a soup kitchen or doing visioning or writing journals. I'm not sure what it is. But I do know that there is something that is uniquely and perfectly right for you that will atone, that will at oneness, whatever has gone in your life so far that makes you, that allows you, that causes you to feel separate. Now, if Ernest Holmes is right, and all of humanity's troubles is being separate from God, then really this isn't that much of a trick. The practice of it may sometimes be time-consuming, as any of us who have ever learned how to play a musical instrument, and, and, and poor Ken is my piano teacher, <laughs> and I think he's some days thinking, uh, yeah, this is going to take a while. But anyone who learns how to practice anything, right, there is a lot of both mental activity and physical activity involved in this. And before we can get good at anything, whether it's gymnastics or playing a piano, it's going to take us a little bit of effort. It's going to take us investing a little bit of time. And I think that each one of us can grow leaps and bounds along our spiritual path, along this idea of at-oneness, along this idea of letting go of some of the things that no longer serve us, that stand in the way of us experiencing our lives to the fullest, to the loveliest. I think we can let that go and replace it with more spiritual practice. Now again, when I say spiritual practice, it doesn't mean you have to be in silent prayer. It might mean you should go on more hikes in nature. Do you know what I mean? For each one of us, I think God is calling. Now some of us actually hear the voices in our head, and that's not always a good thing, but what I do know is that in our intuitional self, that part of us where we're in touch with what we know makes our heart sing, when we're in touch with what we know causes us joy, when we're in touch with that which is very clear in us is more of God instead of less of God, we just need to devote a little more practice to that. I remember when I was... Um, Gosh, I think I was 16. I was a little late in taking driver's ed. I think nowadays, can't you get like a learner's permit at 14 or 15? And, you know, most kids are like plunging into driving the minute they can. I was a little late. I put it off a couple years. And I had some trouble learning how to drive. This might also be you as you're practicing your spiritual path, whatever that spiritual practice might be. Do not give up in the same way that we can absolutely, everyone in this room could learn to drive or, or learn to play a musical instrument. It might take some time. It might take some dedication. And what I know is the spirit, in the spiritual path, it is worth whatever time, whatever training, whatever books we need to read, whatever advice from a practitioner we might need to get, that when we really find something that works for us, it is a blessing beyond all measure. All right. As you can imagine, Ernest Holmes has a couple of his own ideas how we might accomplish this, and I want to I cover them. So how does Ernest Holmes say that we can promote unity? 
he says that we can do two basic things. The first one, he says, we lift the planet out of separation from God by lifting ourselves. So we need to do no more than just attend to our own spiritual business, and we will lift up the planet. If we experience one more day of kindness in our own life, the planet experiences one more day of kindness. If we experience one more day of increased peace or unity or love, just in our own life, through this, we are absolutely uplifting the planet. So let us never think that simply through me working on my own self, that the planet itself is not hugely enriched. This is how the spiritual nature of the entire planet begins rising. This is how the planet itself becomes more fully awake and more fully aware of its own spiritual nature. The second thing that he says to do, and this is just sort of the most basic thought of all, of all he says, we give of ourselves to others, showing unity through cooperation. And he says to simply ask, if we're ever not sure what to do or what to think, he says, ask, what would love do? And it's just most simple form. And for those of you who are taking the relationship class or for those of you who were here for the Sundays where we talked about relationships, now we have a little more definite idea of what love is, right? Love isn't just making nice. Love isn't just saying yes because you know it'll make the other person happy. Sometimes love can be difficult. Sometimes love is actually booting out the 35-year-old teenager that's still living at home. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sometimes love looks like the painful choice, and yet in reality, love is that place of integrity, is that place of truly loving with no strings attached. So if we can look at any situation we have, whether it's an easy choice or a hard choice, and simply ask, what would that kind of authentic love do? You really can't go wrong. So I want to recap those two ideas, how we can get in closer connection with God, how we can experience our own at-oneness. The first one is simply to raise our own thoughts and our own deeds just for our own use. If we raise that sort of vibration, if you will, of good, of life, of love, of wholeness, even just for ourselves, the planet benefits from it. And second of all, to simply ask in any situation where you're faced with a choice, what would love do? All right, what I love to do on Sundays is to tie back what we've learned into here in, into one of Ernest Holmes' sort of stated spiritual principles. That, and in fact, we're learning these uh, right now in the, uh, the Foundations class. And so this particular spiritual principle is called the law of wholeness and unity. And, and I'll read here from, um, from our Foundations class. Spirit is a transcendent, perfect whole that contains and embraces all. As human beings, we have free will and can choose what we experience, whether it be positive or negative, whether it's unity or separation. The same principle that brings us freedom, prosperity, and joy also allows us to experience bondage, lack, or misery according to our own choice. So if we wish to experience more bliss, if we want to experience more love, more joy, more peace, if we wish to experience that idea of at-oneness, the place to start is right here. As, as Nancy or Sharon always say every Sunday, just be ready to change your entire life by changing your mind. 
It's, it's all we have to do, and it's also all that we can do, ultimately. And it starts right here. All right, so I already mentioned the homework. I want you all to really think past this week and what made you most connected with the universe. Now, some people will phrase it as, I felt in the zone. Other people will say, I just felt connected with life. Other people will say, I never felt closer to God in my life. But whatever that phraseology is, whatever that resonates with you, just think of what was going on at that one time. And I want you to think about how you can increase that element of spiritual practice in your life. It might be meditation. It might be prayer. It might be listening to certain kinds of music. It might be holding that baby. It might be taking care of pets. Whatever it is that makes you feel closer, whatever it is that eliminates those ideas of separation and rightness and wrongness, you know, whatever lets you stand away from judgment and things like that, I want you to really think about how you might increase that in your own life. So I'm going to end with uh, the quote from Ernest Holmes as he ends this particular chapter on at-one-ment, or atonement, as he calls it, and, uh, and then we'll do a closing prayer as well. He says, at-one-ment, or atonement, has only just begun. We are just beginning to realize what love and life truly mean every time we give of ourselves to others, helping them to overcome any trouble. We are performing an at-one-ment. We are proving the unity of good. We are proving the unity of all life. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that thing that I call God. It is that power of love. And what I know about God, what I know about love, and it truly is in every person, every place, everything, every situation, all, all is God. I know this is a general principle, and I know it means me. I know that God is working through me and as me in this moment, and I know that's also true for each person in this room, that each person here is a God-centered and a God-powerful being. And for this entire group of people, I know that this week and the following week and the week after that, that each person here has a greater awareness of their own centeredness and a, a willingness to imagine and figure out exactly what gets them there, what allows them to forget thoughts of lack and limitation and instead highlight in our own lives through spiritual practice and whatever that looks like, the ideas of love, of life, of joy, of peace, of abundance. Each person here has that full creative power of life itself. And from this moment on, each person here is a little more aware, a little more able to choose at one month, to choose paths and ideas and choices that answer the question, what would love do now? And I am simply grateful for this, simply grateful to be a witness to the blossoming of this planet in its spiritual path, even as each one of us walk our own unique and individual spiritual path. I'm simply grateful for it. I let it be. And together we all say, and so it is. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you.